Worship is so crucial for us as God's people, isn't it? Absolutely crucial. And the psalm we're going to look at here in a little bit, uh, we're going to see how it ties us together and fuels our sense of confidence in, in the gospel and in Christ and how powerful and important it is. But the, 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 the reality of the focus of our text this morning is in the confidence that God develops in us through the gospel. And so we're going to be looking at that together today as we talk about that. But before, before we let God talk to us in his word, let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Our great God, what a joy it is to be able to come and worship with God's people into your presence, to be able to come before you, the God who is and who was and is to come, the only God, to be able to come before you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Lord, there's a sense in which that last song grips us. We want to live in the light as you are in the light, and all because of Jesus and the gospel. It energizes us into the way we live. And so we come before you today and we praise you. And Father, we we look to you today and we ask that you would reveal yourself to us as we look into your word. Like, Like Isaiah had that vision of you high and holy and lifted up, we pray that you would give us a greater vision of you and then fuel our life into confidence because of who you are. God, we are so amazed at your sovereign power and how, how your omnipotence is always linked with your mercy. You always use your power for our good. We are amazed at how your truthfulness, though it, though it goes right to our hearts, it is always filled with your grace. How we can't save ourselves, how we try to clean ourselves up from the outside and make ourselves right with you. We can't do it, but you did it. Jesus, you did it by coming and being our substitute, our substitute law keeper and substitute curse taker. And we praise you. And Holy Spirit, as we come into the presence of the living God right now, we pray that you would be present in a powerful way and that this place right now would be the scene of your power, that you would show up in a powerful way. Because as we focus on who you are, there is no logical reason for us to be afraid, and yet some of us are. Some of us are afraid of the pain that we've experienced in the past and we're afraid to look at right now in the present. Some of us have secrets that we're trying to hide. They keep wanting to bubble up and we keep trying to push them down, but there are no secrets with you. No need to keep them because of your grace. And so we pray as we come into your presence now that your word would speak to us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. And so we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. We're looking for you to speak now as we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Uh, I tell you, that song, I, I got a little distracted with that song. I want to be in the light as he is in the light because that's one of my, it's one of my running songs that when I have the, uh, the headphones on, I'm listening, I, I sing that song. I, I start singing it when I'm running. It's embarrassing sometimes. But deep in my heart, because of the gospel, I want to 
be in the light as he is in the light. Don't you? Yeah, we do. That's what the gospel does. It energizes us. Uh, It gives us a confidence. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Confidence, confidence. The the late, great British journalist G.K. Chesterton gave two profound quotes on people who were supremely confident. And they're both in the negative. It surprised me when I read them. He said this, first of all, materialists and madmen never have doubts. Huh. So if I don't believe in God and I'm crazy, I'm probably going to have a lot of confidence. Thank you. What do you really think? Then he said, secondly, the men who really believe in themselves are all in lunatic asylums. Okay. I get that to some extent, that there are some people who are supremely confident that they never question themselves and they live on the borders of insanity. I get that. There are some of those people. But I'll tell you, the reality is, uh, and I, I've been at this a long time. I've, uh, I've, I've, I, I, you can tell I've been around for a long time. And as I get to know people, and I've met some of the most confident people you could ever imagine, but if you will feel around the rim of their life, and keep talking and asking questions and get to know them, you'll find the cracks. You'll find the insecurities. You'll find the fears. I've come to the point where I'm not trying to cover mine up. I'll tell you mine. We all got them. There's nobody that is supremely confident in themselves and without any reason to be insecure. We all have reasons to be insecure to some extent. And yet, Because of the gospel, because what we find God dealing with with the Israelites and through the gospel in the New Testament is that confidence building is something that goes hand in hand with God's work in the life of his people. He does build people with confidence. It's a part of being related to him. It's a part of of being associated with a God who really is in charge. And uh, and, and so this is, we're going to see David's confidence. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to see confidence in the chaos, how confidence is fueled in our life, how the power of confidence comes into our life, and then how faith and confidence go together. So this is the Psalm, Psalm 27. This is God's holy word, a Psalm of David. Here we go. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? How many of you have heard this one before? Raise your hand. Look around. Yep. This is one of the most common, wonderful Psalms, the openings, but we probably don't know it all. Here we go. The Lord is the light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assails me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be, what? Confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day uh, of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make melody of the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. 
You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. What a powerful text. Can you believe the confidence? Psalms, Psalms is, is, is a powerful book. As uh, theologians and scholars have taught us, Psalms is one of those books where God speaks honestly to us. But also, Psalms is a place where we learn how to honestly respond back to God. Psalms teaches us how to think uh, God's thoughts after him. It, it teaches us how to feel how to have a, a, a heart response to God, and then how to act, how, how to respond. In fact, Psalms is one of those books that tells us how we ought to feel about life. Um, and I want you to note as we talk about the heart, that in the Hebrew way of thinking, the heart is not simply emotions. You've heard it said, uh, he's a man of the mind and this guy over here, well, he's a man of the heart, or this woman is a great thinker, and this woman over here is a great feeler. The heart, in Hebrew way of thinking, is the center of our being. It includes the way we think, the affections of our hearts, and then the decisions that we make uh, to live. It affects our, our head, our our. Our heart is all of us, the center of our being. And that's what David is really referring to here as he talks about the heart, that confidence comes from God and goes within and helps us to think properly. When we understand God and he speaks to us, then we can honestly speak back to him. And the confidence that we can have comes from God, first and foremost. In fact, biblical confidence is really confidence from the inside out. It's God from the inside out, not from the outside in. I'm convinced that the biggest opposition that we have today as Christians to having confidence and living confidently is that we are living in a day and age of absolute cultural conformity. Conformity, conformity to the world is the enemy to having confidence with God. And I believe that's uh, one of the biggest issues that we face today. Bill Vaughn, I don't know who he is, said this. He said, if there is anything the nonconformist hates worse than a conformist, it's another nonconformist who doesn't conform to the prevailing standards of nonconformity. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Listen, we live in a day of un unprecedented pressure to conform to a political and sociological agenda. I believe in engineering, just not social engineering, and it's happening all around us every day. And you are the true radicals. You're the nonconformists. 
But isn't it hard sometimes when you're in the office and everybody's talking and they're taking the line and going down this way and you're thinking, no, but I go this way. I follow Jesus and I go this way. What do you say? Sometimes nothing. I know. I know. I'm on an airplane and I hear people talking in the row in front of me about something. And I want to say something. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. We had more pressure to conform. Last Sunday after, after church, uh, one of our students came up to me and was talking to me about the sermon. It was so good to, to, to interact with her. And smart, sharp a student. And you know, one of, the, uh, one of the realities is students. Listen to me for a second. You are under a full court press every day of your life. We love you. We're glad you're here. But you need to know that every day, there are many, many messages that are trying to get you to conform to the world, but that's not the way of flourishing. It'll kill you in the long run if you do. But you're under attack just like we are under attack. What I want to do first of all is look at David's confidence in the midst of chaos in verses one through three. Look at that with me, will you? This is actually my longest point, and, uh, and, um, and we're going to spend most of the time there and then flow quickly as we pull it to the end. I'll have you out of here uh, about 1.30 in time for lunch uh, today. So I, here it is. Notice confidence in the chaos. Verse one, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Uh, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall, though an army encamp against me. Can you imagine a whole army encamped against you? He said, my heart shall not fear the war arise against me, yet I will be confident. What I've found uh, is that certain temperament types have certain particular fears. Some of you fear the loss of control because you're a control type person and you hate the loss of control. So you fear that and you will do all kinds of stuff to stay in charge. Some of you want approval from other people and your biggest fear is the loss of social approval. You want everybody to like you. And then there are some people who just don't like to change. I mean, you'll change if given 3,400 good reasons why you need to change, but you don't like to change and you fear change. And there's some of you that fear being wrong. You can't stand it. And, and so you will always try to be right. We do have a lot of fears and fears fight confidence. And, and, and what David teaches us here is that only those who have a relationship with the God of the universe can be supremely confident because there is a great deal of chaos out there. I was noticing it this morning, driving to Orangewood. I get here to early to come in and listen to the worship team practice. It's great. I, but I, got, I was driving down 1792 and I was talking... Uh, to Kim Johnstone, she said the same thing. Johnson, she said the same thing that I thought the rapture happened uh, driving down here, and I'd been left behind. You know, it's it like it was so calm. Sunday morning is the calmest day time of the week. Do you notice that? But almost every other day is chaotic, and uh, and the only way we can have confidence in the chaos that is the everyday life is by having a relationship with God. And he uses three powerful metaphors. God is light, God is salvation, and God is stronghold. He says, God is, blessed be the Lord who is my, I, I, I go over these verses almost every morning. 
He's the light. And you know, it's hunting season. Some of you are hunters. Some of the hunters are not here today because it's deer hunting season. And uh, if you're going to get out there before the deer get uh, out walking around, you've got to have your headlamp as you walk out the path, because if you don't, you're going to trip, you're going to fall and probably be a little spooked by some of the noises that you hear. Light is important because without light, we trip, we fall. And, and light is a biblical universal uh, metaphor for truth and how truth guides us. God is our light. He guides us. He wants us to succeed, not to fail. And so light brings confidence. Light brings confidence. When you know the truth, you know you're not going to fall. And then he uses another metaphor. He uses the metaphor of God as a stronghold. Now I want to put up a, a picture of a, of, of a stronghold in Israel. A few years ago, I got to teach in Israel for a couple of weeks and I uh, had some, it taught at night, so I had some time during the day. And I, I went up, I heard about this castle. It's their number one national park, Nimrod National Park, Nimrod Castle. It was built in 1229 by the second son of Salah Houdin. And uh, it was built to defend against crusaders in the sixth crusade coming to attack Damascus. They never came, but it's an amazing castle. It's an amazing fortress. And this kind of a fortress was what was in David's mind uh, when he thought, when he said, God is my fortress. I, I was so astounded by this fortress. My, my friend Greg Nelson came to visit. I said, you got to see this thing. I took him up there. I'd already been up there. And he said, what's the big deal? I couldn't appreciate it. I pray for his salvation all the time. I, I was so taken. It's 800 feet above sea level. You can look to the west and you can see horses kick up dust coming from the coast. You'd know they'd come in, be coming hours and hours before they actually got there. And then I walked around that whole castle underneath. I went down underneath and, the, and looked around to see how you could defend it from every angle. I was absolutely stunned. We don't have things like this in America. This was it's in David's mind. God is a fortress. We can run to, run into the whole people that lived around that area. It's right on the, uh, in the foothills before Mount Hermon. People who lived it there could run into it, be safe. Yeah, catch this. 31 years after it was built, it was conquered by the Mongol hordes coming down. It's taken over in 31 years, defeated. God is the fortress who cannot be defeated. And so David says that we have confidence, and he has confidence because God was his light that kept him from stumbling, that God was his fortress into which he could run. And then thirdly, he says God is his salvation. What better term uh, to show God's greatness than in the fact that he is our savior, the one who redeems us. I love that. He saves us. He rescues us from error. He rescues us from sin. He rescues us from ourself. He rescues us from our enemies. He rescues us. I, I, I love that, that song, I want to be in the light because it says, uh, he says, I'm finding I'm still a man in badly need of a savior, right? We need to be saved from our sins to come to Christ, right? To go to heaven. 
but I need salvation every day of my, I need God to save me for myself. You ever feel that way? Because there are times when I do things that I regret. I sin, I'm pulled, I'm tempted. Are you? We need the Savior every day of our life. Not just for then and there when we die, but for here and now, today. When I was in Maine, and I told you I was in Maine speaking a couple of weekends ago, my friend Randy Corey told me the story uh, of the time he was in an airport. Now, you got to understand, Randy's on staff at this church. He's a leader. He's the men's ministry leader. He's a creative guy. He's a music guy. He knows the guys in Nashville. He's a man's man. He sings kind of like David. He sings and he's a tough guy. He's got that New England edge, a Mainer's voice. You know, he's just, he was in, he's always, he's in a airport one day and he's standing there in line and this guy comes up and bumps him from behind, almost knocks him over. This was not one of his best moments. And he, and he, lurches forward and he goes, what the, and he said it, what the H, he said it, I could say that here, but then I'd be cussing, but if you quote somebody, you're not really cussing, you're just (laughs) quoting, anyway, he said, what the H, and then he turned around and he said, I turned around, I looked up and I was staring right into the face of Stevie Wonder. And I said, oh, hello, Mr. Wonder. <laughs> now, he didn't tell me if he confessed to him, said, I'm sorry. But um, I, told, I told Ray, I said, I'm going to use that in preaching when I get back. And he goes, that's fine. And he wasn't up t- uptight because he gets grace. That Jesus is his savior. And sometimes he messes up big time. And so do I. So do you. And we come back to him and we find that Jesus is our savior yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In the midst of all of the chaos, I'm badly in need of a savior. I need that. And so it reminds us of who our identity is in. It's in Jesus Christ and him crucified for us. And that's why this, we get to the gospel. Confidence comes when you understand how you're rightly related to God. David understood through faith that he was rightly related to God. Today on this side of the cross, we know that we can be rightly related to God through faith in Jesus Christ, right? Every song gets us to the gospel, as Keller's book is uh, entitled The Songs of Jesus. Every passage in the Bible gets us to Jesus, because what's the Bible about? Ultimately, the Bible is about, about Jesus. And so the gospel is so powerful. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, a person, with the heart, the center of our being, head, affections, and decisions with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, the righteousness of Christ being given to us. And with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Of course, identity is everything. And we understand who are you? Who are you really? You are deeply beloved, redeemed children of the Most High God. And that gives confidence in the chaos that we experience every day. 
I told you that was a long first point. Ready? David picks it up. David gets going here. And he talks about confidence as fuel in verses four through six. Look at what fuels our confidence. He stops after saying these first three verses. And then he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Look at this word to gaze upon the what? The beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for he will hide me. He's really talking, frankly, uh, about worship. The, the people of Israel gathered together. A worship service much like this. He's talking about being in the tabernacle, in the tent, in God's tent, which is, is the tabernacle, of the, movable, uh, the movable temple. And I've got a picture here for you uh, of, uh, of, a, of, a, of a picture of the temple in Jerusalem. This is just a model, of course. This was Herod's temple destroyed, 70 AD. But this is a picture of the temple. David didn't have the temple. He had the tabernacle. Nevertheless, David would love to go into the, into the temple courts or the tabernacle courts. He loved to go where there was the worship of God. He loved, loved to walk around and, and experience the environment where God made his physical presence on earth known. And so you walk into the, into the temple courts or in the tabernacle courts, and, and, and there's the basin where the animals were washed, the animals for sacrifice. And, and then there was the, the brazen altar where, having been sacrificed, they were put on and they were, they were burnt. And the aroma ascending to heaven behind that, the holy of holies with the thick carpet that kept or the thick curtains that kept anybody from going in there except the high priest one day uh, in the year. Could you imagine the temple courts? Can you imagine it at nights with the lights? David loved to be around the artifacts that spoke of the majesty of God. Sights of the eyes and the senses. By the way, with those animal sacrifices, could you imagine inviting somebody to temple? Hey, let's go to temple. They have a barbecue every time. I mean, I could get guy. I could get more guys to church if every Sunday morning you guys would be grilling steaks out front. Okay, I just want you to know. Um, but this was an incredible thing, and David loved that environment. Uh, he loved being. He loved being in the presence of God. He loved being in the worship with God's people. Why? It fueled him from the inside out. He said. He said, I love to gaze upon God. Most of us today are too busy. We get a glimpse of God five minutes and we're done. We get a glimpse of God. David wanted a gaze of God. And he wanted to see who God was in all of his depth of glory and majesty. And the more he focused upon God, the more it fueled his worship. And then being in worship, maybe some of you, some of you come to our worship here and you say, it's so good. It is. Some of you say, that's ah, a little loud. No, I think it's great. You say you're deaf. No, the reality is the worship of Israel was exuberant and alive. The Israelites were extroverts, for crying out loud. 90% of Germans are introverts. 90% of Israelites are extroverts. We're Presbyterians. What are we? 
Uh, we struggle with that a little bit. By the way, my, one of my favorite pictures is not of John Calvin. He's one of my favorite theologians, but his pictures always look like he just swallowed a lemon. <laughs> David is my picture of a Presbyterian at worship because he gazed at God and he got it and it fueled him. He wanted to be in the presence of God. Want more? You want more confidence? Come to worship. You're here. I know I'm talking you're here, but this is not something just to check off. Ah, did it. God loves me now a little bit more because I came to worship today. Are you kidding me? He can't love you any more than he already loves you in Christ, right? So why do you come? Because we need to renew the covenant of grace every Sunday. Because we need to get into the presence of God. We need to be fueled. It is God himself that fuels us, energizes us, gives us confidence. The truth, and, and you know, you can even push it a little bit. I have a brother on this side of the auditorium that sometimes says amen. And I pay him, I want you to know. <laughs> Um, but the more he says it, don't say it to, don't say it now. If you're here, don't say it. Cause it'll seem a little contrived, but the more he says it, the more I want to what preach the, the, the more exuberant he is, the more exuberant I get. I'll never forget the, the time a friend of mine brought a friend from Haiti and the guy came and sat in the front row of our church. And he was just, he was going, amen, praise God the whole time. I preached for probably two hours that Sunday. (laughs) But catch this, God's dignity is never diminished and always enhanced by our exuberant worship. God's dignity is never diminished and always enhanced by our exuberant worship. So we can cut loose a little bit. Even as Presbyterians. Why? Because, because confidence is fueled in the context of worship, just like it was for David. So we see confidence in the chaos. Confidence is fueled as worship. Now notice confidence is power, because this is something else. Verse 7 uh, through 12. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And here we see him asking uh, all kinds of things of God. He's just, he's just coming to God in prayer. Why? Because prayer fuels the confidence of God's people. Honestly, this morning I woke up and I, I, I know I needed coffee. Um, I, I just, I wasn't feeling it this morning. And so I, I drank the holy cup of Joe and then there two or three. But I said, Lord, you, you have got to energize me. And as I spent time in his word, you know what was amazing? He showed up. When we ask God to work on our behalf, commonly called prayer, he shows up. He builds confidence in weak people Because what he wants to build in us is not self-confidence, but God-confidence. The kind of confidence that is appropriate for Christians is God-confidence. Energy that is fueled by the God. I I love this prayer. David just lays it all out there. David is one of the more, 
Here's a guy that could enjoy uh, attacking an enemy on the battlefield and singing a worship song uh, on Saturday and the Sabbath in the temple. I, I don't I get him, but he felt lonely sometimes. And so when he felt far away from God, when you feel far away from God, pray. Where are you? That's what David models in this prayer. When you feel you deserve his anger, when you feel that you, are, you feel so guilty, have you ever done this when you feel guilty? And, and you just go, Lord, I feel guilty in relation to this person or that person or this action or that action. You just feel this free-floating sense of guilt. Have you ever said, Lord, is that from you or is that from me or is that from Bill? There's sometimes that we take our guilt to him. I say, Lord, is that, am I supposed to feel this? We often think that all guilt is good guilt. And that you haven't really experienced God until you've been beat up a little bit at church or something. No, you haven't met God until you've been encouraged. Because he really does love us. Through Christ. So prayer, that's another 20 minutes, man. That's another 20 minutes. When you feel forsaken, when you feel you need God's grace, when you feel like you're under attack, Listen, we are under attack, aren't we? Isn't that what this psalm is talking about? I want you to be a little paranoid. Just because nobody's following you doesn't mean that you're not in trouble. I mean, the reality is we ought to be a little paranoid. We have enemies. David had them. We have them. Spiritual enemies that want to take us down. And prayer will never fail to empower your confidence. That's why he gave us the ability to do that so easily through Jesus. My friend Ellen Gear is a teacher at uh, Geneva School, and she posted this this last week uh, on her Facebook. One of her kindergartners was sitting there. She said, what's it like, honey, to um, only have brothers? And the little girl said, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts. I love that. I love that. It hurts. Life hurts, doesn't it? Life is filled with chaos. And yet what I really believe what God wants us to have, what, or what God wants Orangewood to have right now at this point is a lot more confidence in him. I, I, I absolutely, I'm reading a book right now, Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy Seals Lead and Win. And uh, there's a, a, a great story in here about these guys when they were in Ramadi, these SEAL teams. And uh, one of the team leaders, I, by the way, I love these names, Jocko Willink, and Leif Babin. I guess they're Americans. I love those names. These SEALs leading teams, and, 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 and Jocko was in charge, and he led a squad in Ramadi. And if you remember that, it was a horrible battlefield in the city. And his teams got separated, and there was some what he calls blue-on-blue -blue action. In other words, they were shooting at each other rather than the enemy. And when the after-action report came back in, it was clear that he was in charge and that the blue-on-blue -blue shooting was his responsibility. And instead of blaming anybody else, you know what he did? He took it. So it's my, it's my deal. I own this. And that's the theme of the whole book, extreme ownership and leadership. I, you, know what, you know what I, as I was reading that, thinking about it, I think here we are at this stage, ready to move ahead into the next phase of life. What do we need? Extreme ownership. All of us. Get into a small group. Don't just show up. Own it. 
Get into a ministry. Don't be an extreme pacifist. Don't be an extreme demander. What we need is extreme ownership. Moving in. And by God's grace through his prayer, through prayer, he will fuel our confidence and move us as we have a school. We got to remember why we do. Why do we have a school? Why do we have O-Kids? Not today. We don't have O-Kids. But why, why do we have O-Kids? Why do we have Sunday school? Why do we have missionaries? Why do we, why do, we do what we do? Because Jesus has come. Changed everything. The gospel changes everything. And so he gives us that confidence to move ahead together and not let the past define us, but let the present and the future pull us into what God wants to do. I, I was thinking about this the other day as I, I'm a fountain pen freak. I like fountain pens. And this is my, this is my nicest fountain pen. And it's brown. It's got gold on it. It's so nice. I got my initials put on it. And it doesn't work. <laughs> In fact, if anybody wants it, you come up, you can have it. I'll let you have it. It's, it's, it's beautiful on the outside. But the inside doesn't work. And if you can make it work, it's yours. Just scratch off my initials. In the gospel, what's going on? Sometimes we think we got to clean up on the outside, and that's what it's all about. It's not what it's all about. We don't clean up on the outside, and it affects the inside. Jesus comes in, cleans us up on the inside, and it begins to work its way out. But we can't fix ourselves. Confidence doesn't come from me trying to fix my life. It doesn't come from me trying to make my life better and better, look better and better, faking it on the outside. Coming to him and saying, Lord, I need you. That We're... You guys are wonderful people. This is a wonderful church. They need us out there, not because we're, we look good, but because of what Jesus is doing here and here. And when we see that, it gives us great confidence in the Lord. I like that. I like that so much. And then look how he pulls this together and wraps it up. He talks about the, the confidence that he had in chaos and how his confidence was fueled in worship, how prayer is really the power source that brings true confidence when it's based in the work of Christ. And, and then he ends up with this, this, great, this great two verses, confidence and faith, go together. He says, I believe that I shall look upon, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord, where? In the land of the living. Right here, right now. Perfection here and now? No, no. But I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he makes a powerful statement. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait on the Lord. Those of us who come into a place like this and remember the gospel, that it really is what Jesus has done and is doing, become confident people. Not, not in ourselves. Not outside in, but inside out. We're able to fight cynicism of this world. We're able 
to not turn off and pull aside, but to have ownership and to move in. Not to play like we have it all together, like my friend Randy didn't have it all together. Like I don't have it all together. But Jesus does. And he moves through us. Cultivating confidence. David's taught us how to do it. Now I think the question is, will we? Yeah, we will. Because God is good. You take it to heart. Let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer. Ah, great God. What a joy. What a privilege to be able to be called your people. To know that you are a good, good father to us because Jesus is our redeemer. And Lord, we don't, we don't understand all of why we've experienced what we've experienced. The, the fears that we have, the losses that we've sustained in this life, and there have been many, were wounded. And yet, and yet, we're walking because you enable us to walk. And so as we, as we think about who you are, and what you've done and who you want to be in and through us, we pray that you would fill us. We pray that you would take our broken hearts and that you would take our selfish visions and that you would turn us outward. Turn us outward to the world around us that needs us. And Lord, set us free. And we will be careful to give you praise and honor and glory as we pray these things in the strong name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.